add me right at the end and I'm happy just to you know, go a bit deeper. Yeah. So we'll aim to finish at 4.30. So if there are some more questions, uh, please see team afterwards. Okay, first one. Many of our youth groups have trouble with parents who seem to expect their children to spend so much time studying that they keep their children away from youth group. How can we address this? <laughs> um, this is... This is a tricky one. Um, when I arrived at St Paul's Castle Hill, um, our final exam, which is called the HSC, the High Art School Certificate, um, what's yours? VCE, is that it? Victorian Certificate of Education? Hmm? Um, our HSC was God. It was worshipped by Christian parents and Christian students. So when I arrived at our church 26 years ago, that final exam was a God at whose altar everyone had to worship. Um, and the parents worshipped that God and the students worshipped the same God. Um, and we would find, for example, our year 12s, by the time June came, they evaporated from all our programs. They just stopped coming because they knew that their exams were important and their parents told them their exams were important. So that's what I walked into. Um, can I suggest that the best answer to that is actually discipleship? Because as we discipled young people, they started to realise that although their education is important, the things of Jesus are way more important. And I would hope that one of the results of discipleship is that students study hard for a different reason. That is, we would teach our students to study hard like they were studying for Jesus. This is the Colossians principle. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if serving the Lord. And so if you're a, a, a worker in a factory or a student in a school, um, you work hard at it so that Jesus is on it. Now, it's been interesting. I don't think I ever set out on a program to try and change people's minds. We just started raising these young people as passionate disciples. And I don't know how the parents' view got changed, but I think the... the st okay, there was a surreptitious plan. One of the ways to provoke Christian parents to higher levels of discipleship is you train their teenagers to a higher level of discipleship than what the parents hold. And then the parents think, oh my goodness, our 14-year-old has a higher level of discipleship than we have. We need to do something. Uh, and seriously, that issue now, and I must admit I've been there 26 years, but I would think after about the first five years, we had completely turned that around. Part of it, we did a few little educational things because we were obliged to do the HSC seminar. It was part of the program. I inherited it. Um, at the beginning of the year, all the year 12s and all their wonderful parents would get together and would have people talking about study habits and people talking about all sorts of educational things. And the youth pastor got a little liners, and here's how the church will support you. Um, I just manipulated that a little bit, that what they basically got was me looking at a godly attitude to study. If anyone gets the discipleship training series... Um, for senior highs, the last book, the red book, um, which looks at personal obedience, has an issue to do with study. We actually try to teach biblical truths about it. But after about five years of disciple making, um, the HSC is no longer God. Um, our year 12s will come all year. In fact, even in the middle of their exams, 
we expect them all at church, and we say you don't have to come to Crossfire, but most of them show up because they're actually looking for it. So I do understand that issue. I wouldn't launch an all-out attack. I would simply raise the discipleship level of the students, and I think in time you will see a shift in that. Come to our church now. Our students do well in their exams, but it's been an entire turnaround. Uh, God is God, and the VCE isn't. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, Next question. What do you say when you see youth who are dating show affection, like holding hands at youth group? Okay. What do we do? Uh, When I first arrived at St Paul's, it was a camp, and there were house parents on the camp. And I said to the house parents, so what's your main role on the camp? And they said, we're on Pash Patrol. (laughs) I said, Pash Patrol, what's that? We need to stop young men and young ladies from kissing each other. I said, so your role is to stop our young people from being friendly with each other. And they said, yes, we have standards to uphold. Um, Once again, this is a discipleship issue where I want to say, um, if you have a relationship, express it, but don't flaunt it. Flaunting it means me and my girlfriend are with my friend who doesn't have a girlfriend, and we're just showing off what we have, which you don't have, buddy. Suck that. Um, (laughs) But realistically, it was a discipleship program, uh, teaching, where we taught very honestly about relationships. If you had that last book I just mentioned called My Personal Obedience in the Bible Studies, there's one on romantic love and one on sexual attraction. Um, and I would think if you came to our youth group, like guys and girls who are dating, like will hold hands. Like it's no big deal. But I don't think you'll see overt displays of affection because it's a fellowship breaker. It just means we have an exclusive thing going on and no one else gets to join in. Aren't we special? We used to call it the Biafran principle. Uh, It's probably moved on. The Ethiopian principle, pick a country that's having a terrible famine at the moment. You are a relief doctor and you are stationed there to help people and you have a private food supply because as a doctor you need to keep healthy so you can help lots of other people. The people around you are starving, but there is a food supply for the doctor. Um, Don't show it off to the crowds. Don't lean out your doctor's window and dangle your steaks. Um, That's the principle we use with relationships. You have something that other people don't have. Um, Don't flaunt it in front of them. So, does that make sense? Yeah. Again, wise words. It's just, just seriously, it's disciple, disciple training will get you there. Okay, next question. Um, this, is a, this is a practical question. So I'm a youth worker with a bunch of insubordinate youth leaders. I always recommend leading Bible studies around tables, space for Bibles, writing notes, lollies, etc. They always want to lounge, lounge around on beanbags for the sake of the vibe. Any, any practical wisdom you could give on... On this group, tips oh. for leading groups. I got a feeling, no matter what I say, I'm going to be in trouble with somebody. <laughs> Let's take away the issues of the tables and the beanbags, because that's not the issue here. The issue is whether leaders are submissive to rightful authority. That is the issue. So, 
Does that make sense that there is a strong principle in the Bible of submission? I don't just mean submission to Jesus, but submission to each other. So when John is leading the singing here at church and he says something like, <laughs> he says something like, let's stand and sing the first song, part of you says, I do not feel like standing, but I'm choosing to submit to his leadership. It will help the body if I now stand and sing. So we submit to one another. It's there. But you know there's a particular call to submit to right leadership, like to parents, like to civil authorities, and to like uh, those who have spiritual oversight. If I had leaders that were, was that word insubordinate? Uh, I would actually, someone's got to teach them about godly submission. Now, it might seem odd that you have to do it, but who else is going to do it? See, part of our discipleship is uh, kids like in junior high, we are teaching submission to authority, not in a way that ever compromises their stand, not in a way that puts them in danger, and not in a way that defies God, but that they are learning to submit to authority. Um, So I don't know how serious the question was, but uh, if you're a leader of leaders, you need to model for them what godly submission is. There we are. Okay, thanks for that. Next question. You've been in it for the long haul. So, so this is talking about youth ministry. What are good reasons to finish youth ministry and move on to other things? Oh, when it's clear that God wants you to do something else. Now, here's my problem with God being clear. Uh, throughout my life, I can never pick the difference between what God is calling me to do and what I want to do. Like, seriously, they feel exactly the same. And I wish I could come up with a formula that says, well, here's three tests you can put on it. But realistically, I can't pick them. Um, I'm always asking people the question, think of yourself in 10 years, what are you doing? Like, if what's on your heart's desire? What would you love to see happen? If nothing could get in your way, if nothing could stop you, if you had all the resources you needed, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years that would glorify God? And if you can see that as a picture, that means your next step needs to take you in that direction. Um, don't get out of youth ministry because it's too hard. If it's too hard, it might just mean you need to stay there a bit longer and learn to get good at it. There seriously is no better place to learn ministry to anybody than with teenagers because they will push all your buttons and test you. Like if you want to be a great preacher, you could preach to adults and they'll sit there bored out of their brains uh, with gentle smiles on their face and shake your hand at the end and say, wonderful service. But if you're preaching to junior highs, from the moment you lose their attention, they will let you know within five seconds that you've lost them. So seriously, tough it out. And I want to ask you a question about how long you will stay in youth ministry. Will you stay in youth ministry long enough to get it right? Does it make sense you don't get good at anything in under three years? You want to be a great carpenter, you want to be a great student, you want to be a great brain surgeon, you want to be a great violinist, you want to be a great parent, you want to be a great athlete, you will not do it in a three-year stint. It's a long-term commitment. I think one of the devil's weapons to stop the Christian church going anywhere is to convince people to give up youth ministry quickly, which means no one ever stays long enough to get good at it, which means we never do it well. So seriously, don't get out because it's tough. Don't get out because there are easier ministries around. Get out because you have been thoroughly prepared in youth ministry and you know there is a step that God wants you to take to a different ministry. 
But if it ain't clear, you stay there. Great. Wise words again. I've been here for about one and a half years, so I've got another 18 months to get it right. So that's good to know. <laughs> okay, next question. What do you do in your Crossfire program? Any Bible studies, just evangelistic talks each week? What do you do? Yeah, good question. Uh, our Crossfire is primarily evangelistic. That is, it's a place for our Christians who are personally evangelizing their friends to bring them along to something where their friend will hear about Jesus. If I can go into Heibel's speak for a moment, it's a seeker service. It's a safe place to hear a dangerous message. So our whole uh, emphasis at Crossfire is a place where we minister to the outsider, where we minister to the first-timer, where we're reaching the kid who is not yet a Christian. And so it is uh, evangelistic. Uh, if you have fruit that will last, it breaks it down into 15-minute segments and walks you through the thinking behind the program. But it's a mixture of, um, we used to do something crazy and uh, wacky at the beginning uh, because we want the first-timer to be thinking, it's a church group, it's more outrageous than I thought it would be. That's, that's the thought we want in their head as they finish that. That then, you've got to see there's a funneling effect going on. The next bit will be to use some creative ministry. And often we get the students to do this. So it might be they present a video clip or they've gone out and, and interviewed people or they do a drama or some of them will play a song or they might even do a game. But a collection of different things to start asking the question that's going to be answered in the preaching then we always would have a student sharing their journey of Christ. We want, if a year eight boy shows up, we want him to hear a year eight kid talking about how, how Jesus has changed their life. So at the end of that, they're thinking, oh, it's not just those old people who believe in Jesus. There are kids my age who love this. So when the dude gets up to preach, and it's usually 20 minutes from the Gospels about Jesus, um, hopefully they're saying, well, so far, so good. Then we'll break up into our year groups. So it's junior high. We'd have year six, year seven, year eight. They have their own leaders and their own rooms, and they go off and spend half an hour in their separate age groups. That's for community building, but they'll probably discuss the message. They'll celebrate birthdays. They'll welcome newcomers. But we want the kid who's come for the first time to not just say, I sat in a program, but to say, and I belong to the year eight community and I've established some relationships there. If you've got fruit that will last, look in the later chapters on programming and it walks you through in details. Our discipling Bible study groups are completely separate from Crossfire. Uh, just to follow up on that one, so do you do any intensive Bible study on those Crossfire nights? No. No, we have, we have small groups and there's discussion, but it's aimed at the first timer, it's aimed at the fairly introductory level. If you were a Christian and the only thing you came to was Crossfire, you would be underfed. Now, mind you, if you come to seven years of Crossfire, you get to go through the life of Jesus umpteen times. So I'll tell you, the last 20 years of programming, I can give it to you now, this is what we've preached on for the last 20 years. Are you ready? We started with John's Gospel. Like we just take the next paragraph. Um, and that took us two and a half years to get through. And it was so good. We had so many kids come to Christ. I wanted to do it again. But in the spirit of creativity, we did Luke's gospel. 
That took another two and a half years. Then we did John's Gospel again, because it's really so good. Uh, then we did Mark's Gospel, which we dispense of rather quickly. It's kind of a small Gospel. Then we went a bit loopy and did Colossians, um, only that it was harder to get to the Gospel from Colossians than it was from the Gospel. So after that, we did John's Gospel again. Then, then we realized we'd never done Matthew's Gospel, and so we did Matthew's Gospel. Then we went back to John's Gospel, and we just finished it. There we are. That's 20 years of programming. So... If you're a kid and you come for seven years, you get to understand a whole lot about Jesus. But there's no intense Bible teaching at Crossfire. It's aimed not just at the non-Christian, it's aimed at the first-timer. Now, I don't know whether I was going to say this in in the book, but it's not just the first-timer. We're thinking of the first-timer who's a boy because girls are actually much easier to engage. The guys are more resistant. And we're thinking of a guy who's from a non-Christian home who attends a state school. How would they react to the program? Um, And that's the filter we put it through. So we do our discipling separate from our outreach at Crossfire. So, follow-up, sorry. These are my questions now. Are they expository preaching through bits of... John every weekend? Um, look, more or less, not deep expository teaching. It's not verse by verse, which every, with every word weighed equally, with variant Greek meanings. Um, <laughs> but we will try and unfold the passage because we want to teach the kids how to read the Bible. But generally, um, it's, a, it's a light level, a light level of expository preaching. But there's probably a topic put over it. So rather than the heading being, you know, um, um, you know, John 1, 1 to 14, rather than that being the heading, uh, look, I'm making this up, so this could be a stupid one. The, uh, the, the, the heading might be, um, my life doesn't make sense. And that's probably where we'll start the message. We'll then go to the passage to provide the answers and then it will challenge with challenging students to make a commitment to this, this Jesus. Thanks again. Um, what are your thoughts about encouraging older teenagers to consider ministry? Uh, I would encourage them even more than I would encourage the younger teenagers. Uh, <laughs> like the moment a kid comes to Christ, you want to be talking with them about ministry. Like, come follow me and maybe when you're older we can do fishes of men. Mm. Um, like we had some kids at the high school came to Christ. These are the boys that ended up in that Bible study that asked about giving up having sex with a girl. These guys. When they first came to, the first two guys came to Christ, so I'm now talking with them at the high school. They've just become Christians. And I said, now that you've become a Christian, Jesus has a job for you to do. What's that? He wants you to help your friends come to Christ. And they looked and they said, seriously? I said, yes. And they looked at each other and said, wait here. And they raced off. And they both came back dragging a friend. And they said, these are our two friends, Simon and Andrew. Can you believe it? (laughs) And they said, we want to do Discovering Jesus. Just They want to do it just like we did. And I said, look, slow down. I said, look, I apologize to you guys if they just dragged you here. Do you really want to spend five lunchtimes looking at the Bible, finding out what it means to follow Jesus? And they said, yes, we do. 
So the time you start talking about ministry is a millisecond after the person becomes a Christian and it's always in their mind. I don't want them to discover that there are Christians in the world who sit on their fat backsides in the back rows of the pews and do stuff all for the kingdom. They will discover that eventually, but I don't want them to know that that category exists. So from the... Seriously, I've got kids in year six, which is the beginning of our youth ministry, that I'm saying to, you know what... I can see in you that God could use you to influence the life of thousands, but right now he needs a faithful heart. And we hope all our kids are in active ministry from second one of being a Christian. And with all of them, we're talking about a lifetime of active ministry, whether that's big M ministry or little m ministry. We want them all in ministry. Um, if you're talking about the big M ministry, as in the ordained ministry, um, we, want to, we want kids to more or less have worked most of that out by the time they finished high school so that we can then plan some steps after high school to help them get there, like get on our volunteer leadership team, like come to our Bible college, like become an intern with our church, like become a part-time staff member, and then when we've taught you everything about ministry, then we send you to college so you get the Bible understanding correct. Um, Seriously, don't hold back. I I would never wait and wait till people are older. the moment they become a Christian. You get a three-year-old become a Christian, talk to them about helping another three-year-old become a Christian. Yeah? Yeah? Makes sense. Okay, next question. How do you love and care for kids who are very shy, very socially awkward? Okay, I'm very shy and I'm very socially awkward. So it's really easy. How do you care for them? Okay, um... We get the impression that every teenager is an extrovert and you know that's not true. I'm a card-carrying introvert. I just like to say hi to my introvert friends. Introvert doesn't mean shy and retiring. It just simply means where we get our energy from. Extroverts are energised by being with people. I can't imagine that. I love people, but every person drains me. Right. When my wife says things like, Tim, am I boring you? Like, the technical answer is like, yes, because <laughs> I'm just drained just because she's a person, she's a human being. I love escaping by myself and then I'm at my creative best and then I'm recharged. There's got to be a place for those kids in your youth ministry. Uh, the way you love them is you spend time with them and if they're shy and don't interact much, that time with them doesn't have to have lots of talking with it. You should watch me and my son. My son's now 28, but uh, since from late high school onwards, uh, he doesn't talk that much. Uh, and I, like, I talk in front of a crowd, but, you know, as far as one-to-one, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm a little awkward, really. Um, <laughs> But I found the way was to spend time with my son and because Melbourne is the sporting capital of Australia, uh, he and I would sometimes fly down for a sporting match in Melbourne. So we fly down, we catch Skybus in, we go to our hotel, we go down to the G, the people's ground, um, we watch the match, we go back to the hotel because Sydney Airport has a curfew and there's no late night flights and we travel back the next morning. 30 hours together, just him and me. And when we get home, my wife, extrovert, so what did you talk about? What did you talk about? I say, nothing much. <laughs> you're, sitting, you're sitting in the car, you're sitting in the plane. 
you've got to be talking. I said, well, no, we didn't say much. Um, it's okay with kids just to hang out and spend time with them. Um, by the way, that's the currency of the younger generation. It's time. Because you know that there are two planets in the youth ministry universe. There's only two planets. There's a place called Planet Youth and a place called Planet Adult. And we all know that the other group lives on another planet. Right? And we're quite happy with that arrangement. Residents of Planet Youth believe that residents of Planet Adult do not have any time for them. Their observation is that we're busy. In fact, we're so busy, we've had to create a new term, which is called crazy busy. (laughs) Their parents don't have time for them. Their school teachers don't have time for them. Their footy coach doesn't have time for them. And I have found as a visitor from Planet Adult, they will always welcome me when I bring them a gift that they crave. And that gift is time just to sit down and shut my mouth and listen and have a little conversation. Some of my adult leaders say, but I don't know how to talk to teenagers. What do you talk about? I said, talk about their favourite subject. What's that? Themselves. (laughs) Ask them what's happening in their life. Show an interest. So seriously, they don't have to join in everything. They don't have to be social butterflies. They can sit by themselves a little bit and you can have wonderful ministry with them. Some of, by the way, some of your leaders will be introverts. If you're not, um, find them. If you can't work out how to spot the introverts, um, look at them at a party. When you go to a party and there's 100 people, the extroverts fly around person to person having all these shallow contacts. Um, <laughs> watch the introverts. They'll find a couple of people that they respond to and they'll sit down the whole night with them and have in-depth conversations. If you've got some of your leaders who are like that, then unleash them on the kids who are like that and they'll know instantly how to handle them. Great, thank you. Uh, next question. How, how do you strike a balance between structuring a night that is fun and engaging for tired students but still teaching in-depth biblical knowledge? Yeah, this is a good question. Uh, have you noticed there's a sort of a divide in the youth ministry world? There's sort of the, the fun ministry world and there's the Bible teaching ministry world. Um, I've always been on the opinion that one of the funnest things you can do is to look in the Bible. I, I don't know, have you ever found that like opening the Bible and teaching the Bible is like a whole lot of fun? I, I'm serious. So um, we want to have a group that's fun. The, you know, I was talking about hype as being one of the cheap substitutes. I should have mentioned, given my Presbyterian audience, that there is a reverse um, substitute which is called anti-hype. That is, we're so opposed to hype that we will structure our church services to be so dull and deadly boring that if anyone ever comes to Christ, we know it has to be the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Um, If you have a night of two hours and it's one and a half hours of games followed by a five-minute devo and then 25 minutes of supper, I'm thinking, hang on, what's the centrepiece of that ministry? 
So it's not just the time you allocate, but it's what's got the place of prominence in the program. At Crossfire, it starts wide. Stupid game, if it's got dead fish and whipped cream, it'll be a great game. It's a stupid, outrageous game. It narrows. It's the creative ministry. It's the testimony from a kid. The centre point is the proclamation of God's word. And then everything flows back from that into their groups, discussion, reflection, etc. finishes with supper. Do you see what the centre point of is it? Um, And so I just think the balance is um, if somebody came to your group for the first time and the only thing they knew about you was the two hours they were there, what would their conclusion be about what mattered to you? And if they walk away saying, it's just a fun and games activity, I like it, I'm thinking we probably missed the mark. But if they walk away saying, they just study the whole night and it was awful, I I think you've also missed the mark. Uh, Fun is good. God wants us to have fun. But the centrepiece is that God's word will change lives. Uh, So my question, I guess the answer would be, work out what's the centre point of the ministry in the program, and that will determine where your heart is. Okay. Um, Next question. Do you have any advice for ministering to international students? Um. Look, not, not a whole lot. We're a little bit Anglo at our end of town um, because we're not on a train line. Uh, I, don't know if you, I don't know how Melbourne works, but S- Sydney doesn't grow in a circle. Sydney grows like an octopus on its train lines. And the newer the arrival in the, in the city, the more likelihood they're on a train line because it just makes sense. We're, we're sort of these silly people that live away from a train line, so it tends to be a little bit Anglo. Um, but international students, uh, I, would, I would always want to um, include them. I would always want to acknowledge their culture. Or I always want to give them a little bit of, of, of extra support if their language is struggling. Um, and I also want to make sure that we don't do things that are actually ethnocentric. Like, this is not a Presbyterian problem. This is an Anglican problem. Um, in some Anglican churches... Now, have you worked out the word Anglican actually means English? Right? It's from the Church of England. Um, they say to me, we only get white folk in our congregation. And I say, well, you've got the flag of a foreign nation at the front of your church. They say, what do you mean a foreign nation? I say, you've got the Union Jack. I said, that's a foreign nation. No, no, that's England. And I say, no, no, it's a foreign nation. What's a person from another background going to think when they walk into a place that's got a Union Jack flag whacked up the front? But I don't know I have a lot of, of things to add, but simply to say we've got to welcome international students. We've got to give them any extra support they need. And if there's, you know, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie kids taking the mickey out of them, uh, we actually need to get on that one fast. But I'm probably not the world expert on it because my last 26 years have been in Anglo town. Okay, well, this one's more of a comment. You look like Steve Jobs, but I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I take that as a huge compliment. He's, he's one of my pin-up boys. <laughs> Do you know what Steve Jobs' personal mission statement was? To make a dent in the universe. So two questions. Do you think he's done it? Do you realise Steve Jobs has now changed the entire way that babies are now developing their motor reflexes? Before there was a tablet of any description, you've, you've seen videos of little kids with 
with tablet devices and the whole way their brain is evolving is different because of Steve Jobs. So he's made a dent on the universe. But my question is, um, do you have a mission statement something like this? Because you're a Christian, you can make way more of a dent on the universe than Steve Jobs ever did. Okay, we've got perhaps only two minutes left. Any question, any burning questions from the floor? Otherwise we might finish. Anyone with a burning question? Um, I was going to ask you about uh, transition. Um, you about said what? Transition. You're... Translation? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong person to ask about translation. Um, transition, so you said that your um, kids start coming through at year six, so they are. Yes. Um, how do you manage that? What is the process? Okay, this is a, a transition, say, from kids' ministry to youth ministry. This is such a good question. Um, um, Think about the transition points in a person's life. There are transitions going this way and there's transitions going that way. The transitions going this way as someone gets older, going from the nursery ministry to the preschool ministry to the primary school to the junior high to high school to university. Those transitions. The other way is from non-believer, becoming a Christian, young believer, growing believer, ministry person. I want to say at every transition point, you've got to work twice as hard as you do at the normal stretches because they are the most likely place to lose people. If I restrict my comment to the, the, uh, the transitions going upwards, um, the two biggies for youth ministry is kids dropping out at the end of year six and not coming into the high school ministry and kids dropping out at the end of year 12 and never showing up in the young adults ministry. You've got to put twice as much work into this and the people that do the work has to be the receiving ministry. So the youth ministry can try and set up a transition to young adults, but if the young young adults leaders are not on board, it's not going to work. And so we used to start our youth ministry at year seven, but we kept noticing a problem. We had year six parents coming to us saying, my year six doesn't want to go to the children's program. What's wrong with your children's program? Now, I'm not a specialist in children, but I had a look at it and I thought, well, it's quite a good children's program. It's just that the year sixes were sick of being children. By the time they get halfway through their final year, they're sick of being kids. They want to be teenagers. They want to be treated like cool teenagers. Um, And so by careful negotiation with our children's ministry, we changed the transition point to be a year earlier and it had an immediate brilliant effect. Um, suddenly our year sixes were going through the roof because they were big kids in their youth ministry and loved it. Um, but don't assume the tra- <clears throat> transition will happen automatically. You've got to work very hard at it. We try and send some leaders through with the kids over the transition point to take one or two children's leaders and take them with their kids into junior high ministry and we try to take a couple of our Year 12 leaders and get them to go for at least a year in our young adults ministry to travel with the kids. Um, But at this point, I just want to say, work hard at them, um, and it's relational. Um, It won't happen automatically. There's a lot more stuff I could say, but that'll get us started. Sound cool? I was just going to say, have you got any comments about burnout? Uh, yeah, I'm feeling tired right now. <laughs> um, burnout is important because you want to go strong. 
And I don't want to burn leaders out like when they're in their 20s because I want them ministering for Christ you know, into their 80s. <laughs> Could have a long-term view here. Um, now, there's sensible things like don't work harder than God. Like God decided to rest one day in seven and that's not part of our modern world. We have shops open, you know, every day. And so I want to make sure that our leaders are having rests, that they're having a break. By the way, we stop our youth group for the school holidays. The church down the road, Hillsong Church, they don't. They're just down the road from Australia's biggest church. It's just down the road from us. Um, they don't stop um, during school holidays, but the reason we stop is mainly to give our leaders a break. The kids wouldn't mind. Now, half of them would be away, but the kids who are around would still love it. But we actually do it to give our leaders a break. Um, I want to make sure that our leaders are being fed. So if you're a youth leader with us, I'm saying you need to be in one of our young adults' small groups so that you are being fed. And if you can't do both, we understand, you can just be in a young adult small group and don't be a youth leader. And when you've got time, you let us know. So I want to look after those people. Now, um, I realise you're not all the same age as each other, um, but your generation, wonderful Gen Ys, are actually better at this than the, you know, ever re- the ever-repressive boomers who, um, who just live to work the whole time. Um, so I want to say, if I think my leaders are being lazy, I actually want to provoke them to work hard for Jesus. But if they're pushing the limits, I want to say, you've said yes to one too many things. So you've got to have their long-term outcome in mind and to look after them. People have got amazing capabilities and if someone is looking after them, people can achieve wonderful things. But I want to make sure we're not just loading more and more jobs onto an ever-diminishing number of people. I'm 59. I'll be 60 in January. Um, Pacing yourself matters. I want to see, like from when they wheel me out of my nursing home with all the drips coming out of me, I want to have a, a blurry vision of you guys, you know, in your 40s and 50s and 60s. That would make me rather old by then. But I, I want to see you powering on for Jesus as older people, which means I don't want you burning out now. That's only introductory, but that's probably enough to get us started. And that's on a great note to end. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. I've uh, enjoyed it we... thoroughly. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Uh-huh.